Hi, and welcome to the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of the LGBT Bar of New York. Thursday, May 17th is the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. It was created in 2004 to draw attention to the violence and discrimination that's experienced by LGBT people internationally. May 17th is now celebrated in more than 130 countries, including 37 where homosexuality is criminalized. We've been trying to highlight on this podcast how Trump's immigration policies and rhetoric are dangerous and deadly for LGBTQ people. We discuss the impact of Trump's travel ban on LGBTQ people, including asylum seekers. In our last podcast, I spoke with Art about an asylum case involving a gay man from Ghana. And our conclusion was that the actions of the BIA and the IJ in that case suggested that the president's racism seems to be infecting the career ranks of bureaucracy. I am thrilled to be joined by our special guest, Adam Eli. Adam is a community organizer and founder of Voices For, which is a nonviolent direct action activist group committed to advancing global queer liberation. We also have Aziz Toktovbaev, He is an intern for Voices For and from the post-Soviet region. So, Adam and Aziz, it's been a little over one year since the first reports of Chechnya's queer purge emerged. In fact, our LGBT Pride panel from last year featured this topic heavily. Can you remind our listeners about the situation on the ground at the time and what, if anything, has changed well, obviously, there was a lot of a lot of backlash after what happened in Chechnya, mm-hmm. after amazing Nova Gazeta, publish, uh, an independent publishing agency, posted, uh, you know, their own investigation, and after a year, after a big backlash, it seems like there are no more reports of people being kidnapped and killed. However, it doesn't mean that people are not being kidnapped and killed because you often get the interviews from, you know, the president of Chechnya, even from the officials in Russia about not having gay people at all. And that's very suspicious and also very scary because, you know, it makes a person invisible. And being invisible is worse than being publicly persecuted. So Russia's relationship with the LGBTQ community has always been a cause for concern. Folks may remember the Sochi Olympics and the protests, the Principle 6 campaign, which highlighted um, Russia's queer propaganda law. How has this anti-LGBTQ culture drifted from intolerance to blatant and active genocide against gay men? Absolutely. Well, it definitely depends on the region. Because in the capital city like Moscow or the cultural capital city like St. Petersburg, people are not as heavily, I guess, discriminated than in regions like Chechnya or in uh, further from the capital regions. And, uh, you know, since the propaganda laws uh, came into place, came into existence, there was a lot of violence against particularly gay people and gay men. Uh, like one of the most popular YouTube channels on Russian YouTube was, you know, of a man who found gay people through Russian Facebook and humiliated them and filmed it. And those are the things that, you know, that are very disturbing and that are obvious. 
Um, I would say thank you so much for using the word genocide because we do believe that what's taking place is a genocide. And basically, I would say big picture, and you can help me out here, is that we're seeing a lot of state-sanctioned violence. So in Chechnya particularly, there is a culture um, in which you know, being gay is an abomination, and so the government and the police force are picking up gay men or entrapping gay men by pretending that they are gay, and then I guess lawyers know what entrapment is, mm-hmm. right? So I don't sure. need to explain it's that. Okay. Legal term of art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one, the one podcast I don't have to explain that on. <laughs> um, so they are entrapping um, queer men, and then they are detaining them and they are torturing them. And they are demanding that those queer men give up the names of more queer men. And if they, if the police don't kill the person, then they ask their families to in something called an honor killing. And we have proof and record that a variety of these honor killings have taken place. And um, most recently, Novoya Gazeta, in partnership, or a a reporter from the Novaya Gazeta, in partnership with the Russian LGBT network, which is the big force on the ground out there published a report that had 72 different testimonies of what has been happening in Chechnya and something that we really want to highlight that our group wants to highlight and that we're grateful for media like this and a podcast like this and a sophisticated audience like this is that it is not just against gay men queer women are very heavily oppressed and entered any type of gender non-conforming identity or expression is also punishable so the our mainstream media has sort of labeled it as gay a gay purge once again centering the problem around gay men when really it's it's impacting the entire range of the queer community yeah and so you mentioned the media and it has been about a year since we've kind of focused on this in a really intense way and you recently led a successful um, protest in Columbus Circle, I believe, and the images from that protest were so captivating, the pictures of folks with the bags on their head. Can you talk a little bit more about how direct action, you use direct action to inform people, educate people, and shape um, attitudes and, and public, opinion, uh, public opinion in this area? Yeah, absolutely. So at Voices for we are a nonviolent direct action activist group. We our model our model and a lot of what we do is based off of ACT UP and Gays Against Guns. I got my start in activism uh, like the day after the Pulse Massacre. I was at the first Gays Against Guns meeting and I watched them build a group from you know from nothing into what it is now. And that is how I learned how to be an activist. So that's where our roots are. And a big issue that we were actually just Aziz and I were just talking about on our way over here is that. A lot of the times the protests, when you're protesting an entity that is a foreign government, they're not going to see the actual protest. The people that are going to see the protest are, you know, the people that are walking through Columbus Circle on a Saturday. And they're not, they're rarely are they our targets. So what we do is we ensure we, the the media landscape is different now. And the protest, and the protest market or the protest arena is so saturated that we choreograph protests to be as visually striking as possible so that way the visuals will you know translate on the, in the media and on social media and then we use those photos and proliferate them proliferate them online in the hopes that the governments will see them so that way the governments know that people in America care and are taking action but also so that people from post-Soviet countries will be able to see them and give them hope to know that they're not alone and that there are people fighting for them. So it's a very intentional, it's a very intentional. I could see that you were pairing with 
you know, me, social media influencers who could help spread the word and the message um, as part of the way that your activism manifests itself. And I'm wondering what inspires your activism. I, I was reading your piece where you were talking about, um, you know, what it's like to be a third generation Russian American who is also queer um, and discussing some of the parallels between pogroms in Russia in the 1900s and the treatment of queer people in Russia today. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I always like to joke that I'm like, I'm basically Tevia from Fiddler on the Roof, but like with an Instagram. And so like <laughs> my family came directly from... I was Fiedka once. Oh, really? Okay. He's <laughs> in cute. high school. <laughs> He's cuter than Tevia. Maybe I should like, maybe I should lead with him instead. Um, but my my great grandparents came here from from Russia. They came because of the pogroms, and then in the a pogrom is. Do the lawyers know that, or should you, I tell them? Okay, I'll tell them. That's a Russian word, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the words you know that came in, and during the 1900s, it was you know one and a half million of Jews lived in Russia, and you know that's when that's when the word became also an English, an English word. Mm-hmm. So after after what happened after yeah. the persecution of Jewish people in Russia. So my great-grandparents came here from Russia because of the pogroms, and the pogroms are um, mass, mass state-sanctioned state acts of violence against Jewish people. And so they would you know, barge into towns, they would rape the women, they would steal and riot and set things afire, and it was really totally terrible. And so my great-grandparents left Russia and fled the country to come here. And then my mother was a activist within the Soviet Jewry movement, and she was advocating for Jews that were stuck, or the, the Jews that were in the Soviet Union and that were being refused to let out. And now, the same thing is happening here. So, or like the same thing being that a minority group is experiencing state sanctioned violence from the Russian and other post Soviet governments. So, the tie between what happened to my great grandparents and the pogroms to what happened to the Soviet Jewry, to what's happening to queer people now, I see it simply as a direct line. And so when I heard that queer people were being, or when I heard people were being put into, you know, concentration camps or holding camps for who they are, uh, sort of like metal, you know, like metal like plate, like rattled off in my head and I could like, I was like, this is why I went to Hebrew school and I could like hear my great grandparents being like, you know, never again is now. And I just, I knew that I had to do something. And a lot of actually, a lot of our work has been inspired. A lot of our work has been inspired by those movements. So, for example, like with the Soviet Jewry movement, often they would, one of their tactics is they would like a school or a shul would adopt a prisoner. And it was like that school's like job to make sure that the prisoner's name stayed in the news, that they were like sending money back to wherever they could, that there was like a a letter writing campaign and it was their job to make sure they weren't forgotten. So our voices for in that vein, um, we adopted a journalist called Ali Firuz and he, who was stuck in Russia and he was actually freed recently. I wish they taught activism in schools. I mean, they, we are kind of teaching that now in the new folks that are growing yeah. up around gun violence and protesting in schools. That's kind of taking... In some schools, they do, like in mine, in Berea, Kentucky. That's, what, that's because I got to learn about how to develop our region. I'm here, you know, this is my second summer in the United States as a student, and this is my direct field experience. You know, I get to show what I've learned in my work with the voices 
in my work with Arusa, which is a sister organization to the Voices. Wow. And um, I would say that, like, I went to Jewish school all my life. I went to a school. Um, and, you know, Jewish history is the history of persecution, and queer history is the history of persecution and protest. So I'm really a student of both, yeah. and I'm just doing my best to meld them. We are coming up on Pride season, mm-hmm. and um, another piece that I had read that you had written was talking about your participation in Brighton Beach Pride, which has a large Russian population that lives there. Um, And it was largely a request to be visible and what visibility can be for for educating and changing hearts and minds. So I'm actually going to let Aziz answer this because on our walk over here, he said something really powerful, which is about, you know, protest is important because at Voices, we try to do two things. We one, we want to show, we want to show these governments that are persecuting queer people abroad that there are people in America that care and that they cannot go, they're not going to go by unnoticed or unpunished. That we're watching and that we're not sitting silent. And the other is to make sure that people who are queer in other places don't think that just because we have some, some of us have some rights here in America, that we've forgotten about them. So part of our actions are geared towards giving other people hope. And I'm going to let Aziz. Yeah, that is a product of that. That is that is very, very, very true, because we assume, you know, uh, very often in privileged, I'm not going to use the world first term, uh, first world, but developed countries, uh, organization, alike voices, not like voices, but alike voices, work with the governments, with the UN, with other major organizations to make a change, but they forget that the change that they're doing is actually for the people. They forget the people that they serve. And it's very important for me while I'm with the voices. And I know it's also very important for the voices that the work that we do is reflected um, and shown to the people that this work is done for. That all of our articles hopefully are hopefully soon to be translated in Russian and are published and within the Russian media. And, uh, you know, showing the journalists, the brave journalists who have done the work in Chechnya knowing that there were journalists who were killed doing interviews in Chechnya, showing that their work is not overlooked, that there are people who are acting uh, upon what they requested, what they you know, send out to the world. And I think it's, that's the importance. And the Brighton Beach is, you know, we often forget also, you know, being international activists, that a lot of these things happen within the United States. You know, I live in Kentucky. I live in a liberal bubble, but what happens outside of a liberal bubble is, you know, is is sometimes very disturbing. And the same for Brighton Beach. You know, we often forget that the Russians, Russian-speaking people, not just Russian people, but Russian-speaking people who migrate migrate to the Brighton Beach because it's their haven. It's safe. They know the language, but it's also not safe for queer people because it comes with this whole tradition with this it's not a tradition with this like a culture yeah culture stereotypes yeah totally and so absolutely and so what's going on in Brighton Beach Pride this weekend is the reason is that a lot of queer refugees immigrants and asylum seekers come from post-Soviet countries and immediately once they get here they often cannot find work because they don't have the proper papers and also if anyone here has tried to get an apartment in New York City they know that you will know that that is very difficult to do and requires a huge amount of paperwork so queer people from post-Soviet countries end up in Brighton Beach where they'll be given work either like under the table or people will trust them enough to allow them to work without a permit and 
what happens is that in Brighton Beach, a lot of the television stations are Soviet channels, and a lot of that post-Soviet mm-hmm. culture is, is pervasive and it dominates what life is like there, which means that queer people are escaping un- tragedies that are un- tragedies and violence that are unthinkable to us only to be met with the same thing like 10 blocks away or like 10, 10 subway stops away from us which is you know nothing yeah. short of insane so what Voices is doing is we are mobilizing a big group to go and our group has two messages one is to show queer Americans heart queer immigrants to show that we stand in solidarity we see what's happening with these queer immigrants and that we are invest we are as queer people we are personally invested in their ability to live their lives openly and to show the business owners and people in Brighton Beach Pride that we are watching and that we're not just going to let this happen in our city yeah and a fun fact like our friend Lyosha said Brighton Beach is not like present Moscow or St. Petersburg Brighton Beach is like Soviet Union in like 70s or 80s (laughs) and I can testify to that like when I first got there I was shocked it's literally Soviet Union like what I saw in the movies I'm not old enough to, to remember Soviet Union but it's it's pretty disturbing knowing that, you know, if I lived in, well, I live in Manhattan now, but like knowing, like Adam said, that if you stops away, you know, it's a whole different world. It's like your little Russia. Yeah. It's worth noting that the U.S. has become less safe for LGBTQ people under Trump. The administration has targeted trans students, trans service members, queer dreamers, and nominated some anti-LGBT advocates to some really powerful positions. So how does Trump's heartless approach to immigration and the administration's anti-LGBTQ policies place queer refugees and asylum seekers from Russia and elsewhere in danger? So the first thing I'll answer is, now this is really, this is really a question for Loisha, um, who, this is really a question for someone who works more directly with immigrants. I, we sort of say, you know, how can we help and what, how can we elevate your voices and how can we raise what you're doing, but the big, something I can relate to something that I've heard many times is that a lot of this violence against queer people in this post-Soviet region is taking places in countries that are, now I'm using air quotes, Muslim regions. Very few people there identify as Muslim, but a lot of these immigrant applications that are coming in are from, quote, Muslim people and Muslim nations, and obviously the Trump administration just, I mean, it's almost impossible today. Yeah, like um, facts, just reminding the audience about the facts that, you know, in his last year, the Obama administration, they had 110,000 quotas for refugees, Mm -hmm. and Trump lowered that number to 45,000 people, which is the lowest in history. Mm -hmm. I mean, numbers speak for themselves. It's not about what you say, it's not about how you say it, it's about what you do. And his actions just, you know, in in, in one of the biggest refugee crisis uh, crises in the history, we have the lowest number of refugees accepted in this country. That's disturbing. I agree. So um, what do you, you know, as we're closing, Aziz, what's your message for and to folks who are facing criminalization, torture, violence in their, um, in their communities? That's a very, very good question. Um, Personally, hope, just finding hope within everything. You know, uh, 
remembering about people, not necessarily queer people that have been persecuted, like Adam said, Jewish people, you know, remembering their stories, remembering how all the people that have struggled, what they, you know, the light that they found, the hope that they found, things that kept them alive and just trying to find similar things is so important because, you know, there always has to be help. And we, I guess, will try to also provide that hope, those little bits of hope by the articles that we publish, by the work that we do, by, by just showing that we care and we have the privilege to care and we hope that somebody else has, you know, also that privilege in the world. And for lawyers who are our listeners, for advocates, activists who may be listening, what what do we what what can we do to show that we care? How can we get involved? Particularly, you know, you might say, I'm a lawyer, I don't really have any immigration experience or background. How can I use my voice to help? Do you have suggestions for what our listeners can do right now to lend support and and in the best way? We do. We yeah. do. And so I want to preface that with saying that voices, basically, we work, um, our theory of change is based on the idea of showing up and being of service. So we approach situations by approaching people that are marginalized or have voices that are not emboldened the ways our, ours are. And we say, how can we best be of service? Here are the resources we have and what, like, what can we do? And our theory is that Queer people anywhere are responsible for queer people everywhere. Like it says in the Talmud, Kol Yisrael Avrim Zebazeh, which means all of Israel is responsible for one another, which means the Jews have an obligation to take care of each other. And that is how I feel about being queer. So if a queer person is suffering, it is my, anywhere, it is my personal responsibility. So there are a list, we came up with a list of places in which lawyers, any type of lawyers, right, Aziz? Yeah. Any type of lawyers even can... student lawyers. Even... <laughs> Even student lawyers can um, <laughs> lawyers. Yeah, can call and simply say, you know, hi, I'm X, Y, or Z, and this is my unique skill set. How can I best be of service? And Aziz has some of these names for you. Yes. Well, I work with, I help asylum seekers in this country. So um, I came up with this list. Well, I came up, my supervisor sent me this amazing list. So some of the places that you could work with are legal aid, Legal Services, New York Legal Assistance Group, Make the Road, Bronx Defenders, and Brooklyn Defenders. And also on every Tuesday night, um, there is a free clinic through New Sanctuary, and people can meet with attorneys for a free uh, immigration consultation. So all the lawyers, we need you. Your level of education is, if you're a lawyer, trust me, you have, you have all the skills. You're amazing. We need you. I truly do. It's true. And it's worth noting that um, our organization, the LGBT Bar of New York, also has a Tuesday night clinic where we offer, and a helpline, where we offer free legal services to folks. And we encourage folks who are listening. We've had a lot of requests for immigration help. If you do have some immigration background, or if you just want to get involved, please come volunteer at our clinics um, and help some of the people who are in the most need. Um, Adam... Aziz, I'm so glad that you were able to come and talk to us uh, today. Do you want to give us any more of an idea about how folks can hook up with Voices for when the next kind of way they can, besides Brighton Beach Pride, which I'm assuming you would accept people to march with you? Absolutely. And so the best thing to do is we are a 
millennial-centric group, so the best way to contact to get in touch with us is through our Instagram, voices, the number four, and an underscore, and we meet every single Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. at the LGBT Center at 208 West 13th. We'll be there tonight. Yes, and please come to the Brighton Beach. Some people at the Brighton Beach want to march, but they can't. But you can march, so please come and join us, and we need as many people. We need to show how colorful and amazing we are as a community. That's wonderful. Thanks for listening. This and future podcasts can also be found online at iTunes or at legal.podbean.com. Follow Legal on Twitter at LGBTNY or like us on Facebook. Follow me at E.D. Lesh. Huge thank you again to Adam and Aziz. I so enjoyed their message. Queer people anywhere are responsible for queer people everywhere. It's such an important message on this international day against homophobia and transphobia and biphobia. Thank you so much for listening.